Previously on You Watched It Wrong. The first movie up for our discussion today, 2020's feature film Palm Springs. Despite using the same instantly comparable to Groundhog Day convention as, well, Groundhog Day, I felt it was much more a thematic companion piece for 2016's Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. Good call. A movie, if anything, was made for podcasts like this one. Okay. We'll dive into that discussion after a quick break. It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. You watched it from. Oh, really? Yeah. Everyone I... counts this as a bomb because it, of its... Um... Hi, everyone. We're talking about passengers. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well get into it. Everyone thinks of this as a bomb, but it did make back its... Just barely made back its money. It I just a... assumed it was a bomb because of the star power, and I just didn't hear anything about it. Like, yeah, it's... I didn't hear anything about it for the longest time. I didn't really care. And it made like fifteen million on its opening weekend against a hundred and ten million dollar budget, so they didn't. It was like this. This is a dud. But then eventually, slowly made its way back to, up to a hundred million bucks domestically. Then overseas, it made a little more than that, so it ended up pulling in three hundred, three hundred three million dollars worldwide. So it basically, when you do your armchair, two hundred fifty percent of your production budget in gross would break even. And yeah, basically did a little more than breaking even. So that you know worked out. Well, good for them. Yeah. Good for the money people. Uh. <laughs> so as I said, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, this is a movie that I think is made for shows like this. It'll be very, very hard not to primarily discuss this movie's reception apart from the movie itself. Which, by the way, I really do want to do. Because... Um, you really, by do, you mean not discuss the reception? No, I, want, I do want to discuss the reception. And, and okay. sadly, I probably will be discussing that more than anything else. Okay. Um, because I find it fascinating. I find how this movie was received. I should be frustrated, but I feel it, I'm fascinated by it. Because I think okay. it speaks so much to our culture and um, um, our and humanity in general. Um, I never heard anybody talk about this movie at all, so I well, you'll well, be cluing me in. So, so basically, when this movie came out in 2016, I can't remember if it was the summer or the fall. I can't. I could look it up, but why? Um, <laughs> uh, we were going through our own shit back then, <laughs> which sadly continued into the next year. Um, it, this movie came and, and went. It was weirdly marketed. It was. It had a marketing campaign that was like slick, pretty people that you love. And it's a romance, and there's probably something, maybe a, a twist in it, right? And that may be it. I think when people started to get nervous, they started putting ads where there was like a, I have something to tell you kind of thing in it. So I didn't look interesting. I avoided it. And um, it wasn't until I'd been out on video for, I don't know, maybe six months to a year that I finally checked it out after hearing some things. And then after I saw it, at that exact point, now either this was me just suddenly becoming aware of it, 
or if it was happening around that time, suddenly just a ton of think pieces were being written online by various publications and bloggers and, 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 and film places and, and, and huge um, uh, news organizations even, basically saying, is there a good movie in this movie? Can it be made better? Can it actually be made to work? Mm-hmm. I find this fascinating. There is a need. It's not, why can't they just go, oh, movie sucked, and then let it go like they do everything else? No, there was a need that this movie be different. Why? And I think it's because... I oh, have oh, a, oh, I please, have a please. suggestion as well. Yeah, go ahead. Well, just that I, I think it's, it's a ripe premise. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. good stuff set up in this movie, and then it just doesn't deliver on it. You know, So you want to see that potential... See, I think it does. Okay, all right. I, I think there's um, a few moments that maybe my standing might be a little thing, but I think it does exactly what it's trying to do. I think this boy. is a movie like Funny People, where it's like, it's, it is what it is, and you guys want it to be something different. They, okay. If you haven't seen Passengers, you sh- I, I don't know if, what Siggy's going to say. I don't know what Siggy's going to say, but I would say you should. Well, if you um, want to make sense of this conversation, you should. <laughs> then why, what are you doing listening to this? Um, but just quickly, so you have Jim Preston. Chris Pratt plays a mechanic of uh, low social st- standing um, who, is going, who is on a Starliner traveling over 100 years. They're 90 years into their voyage. Oh, no, they have 90 years left in their voyage to a new planet, which is being homesteaded by a corporation back on Earth as the new kind of colony, off-world colony, you might say. Computer malfunction caused by what we know, but no one else knows, debris hitting the ship in an unexpected way, causes his pod, for some reason, to wake up, to open, eject him, and him alone. He spends a year on the ship in, in social isolation, kind of slowly unraveling mentally, and um, ends up making what is an unforgivable choice or decision, an act, unforgivable act. He has, uh, in, not in an unstalker-ish way, targeted a beautiful woman in a pod, finds out everything he can about her, believes he's fallen in love with her, and then struggles, agonizes for presumably months over whether or not to wake her up. So he can have someone to talk to. And probably, and probably more than that, because he could have opened up any pod, but he chose a beautiful woman's pod. Um, the, the one he glimpses at his lowest point. When he's at his just, lowest point, right. He's when just he's attempted, consi- almost attempted suicide. Right. Came seconds away. And, and her, um, her beautiful face. Uh, right. Is his lifeline. So, I'm trying, there's so much I want to say all at once. I want to say it all at once. But I can't. So when he wakes her up, well, let's just go. If you've watched the movie, you know what it is. All right? This is where we are. Um, to me, I was, the, the moment this movie had me, that I was like locked in. Because he was going, oh, don't do this. Don't do this. The whole time he's like taking her pot apart. He's like going, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. I was for certain 
he was going to go, you know what? I'm not going to do this, and then accidentally knock something, and then an opener pot up. <laughs> but they didn't. He made the decision. He did it. He he was he they he he opened he 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 effectively killed her. He committed murder. He took her away from her life. And this is a man that we have been um, spent a good thirty minutes with in this movie so far, and have grown to really like him, to sympathize, to feel his anxiety, to feel his depression, to feel his loneliness and his isolation, and to feel him knowing he's just going to suffer until he dies. And then he makes this unforgivable decision. Even with a kidnapping and a murder. A kidnapping and a murder. And And then by seducing her under false pretenses, pretty rapey too. Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 it is. And everyone's like going, I don't think this movie knows how creepy he is. I'm like, the movie totally knows what it is. And they go, well, this is, this, is, oh, this is an unforgivable decision that they try to redeem him from. They don't redeem him from it. He doesn't think he can be redeemed from it. And to me, when he opens this up, from then on, even from the, from the moment he does it, to the moment when it inevitably is revealed to her that he opened her pod, that whole thing to me was tension. It wasn't, oh, this is a nice romance now, although they go through the romance steps, they go through everything. And um, it was all about how sickly that living that lie, that big of a lie, can be in a relationship, right? Even though you know it's what you want, it's what you need, it's what you have to have, otherwise you will go crazy. And you, whatever reasons you told yourself about, then you have to do that. So, um, right. and, and you knew all along, unlike some characters, you knew all along there were going to be consequences to your actions. Exactly. Yeah. Then, when the movie then goes into its, when, when Jennifer Lawrence is enraged, realizing that she's what he's done to her. And then the movie goes into what everyone says is the complete awful third act of the movie where they have to save the ship. Jim, quote-unquote, sacrifices himself as a way for the filmmakers to redeem him so then they can be together at the end and live their lives out on the ship together and then produce offspring, and then the ship arrives, and they're dead, but their offspring is now, and everyone wakes up, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that's, that's not the right way to see this. In my opinion, that's not what they were doing at all. Okay. Um, That's not how you watched it. That's not how I watched it. In my mind, the thing that everyone is thinking that they didn't get right is the subject of the film. I want to bring up something, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, and I I don't want to cut you off, too. Well, maybe I should... No, maybe we should get back to that. You've got to finish your spiel here. Um, i got a lot. There's so much to talk about. Because when when, when they go into that end end sequence with the... um, Tracing down the faults in the uh, why the computer system is failing, why the ship is failing, why are all these things suddenly breaking down? And they say it's a needless. The criticisms of the movie is that it's a needless third act, you know, action climax to kind of boost the movie and then some and, and make Jim heroic so that she for, she forgives him. But here's the thing: I think it's a lot more sly than that. I think that the little tiny tiny meteor that crushed through in the beginning 
the, went through the side of the ship, through the walls, into the ship's core computer, is one of the, if you think of the ship as, as a metaphor for, the, for one's relationship, for a love affair, right? If you think of that, and then there's that one little thing right at the beginning that is, is like ignored or forgotten about or like, you know, it's so small, take it out. It'll cause everything to break down and shut down. Because like they say, in a weird, like the, on the tech side, they say these computers are shutting down and they're making the, main, the other ones overload. They're all overloading because they're having to work too hard. And I'm like, that's what goes on in our heads when we're in a relationship. Being dishonest. What? Yeah. We're being dishonest. And you're being or dishonest. Or yeah. when you're going, oh, well, I'm not going to worry about that part or I'm going to dismiss that part because i got to get through. And you know what? I'm not going to be concerned with that. When you ignore the problems in your relationship or you ignore your own dishonesty, it's going to eventually going to take down the whole thing. And I thought that was a really wonderful metaphor. Now, no one got it. <laughs> Apparently, but I think the reason why no one wanted to, and this came through in all, all these things I've read that I was just kind of looking, kind of mouth agape at all these people uh, and, and reviewers talking about how the movie doesn't work, it's not anything. It wasn't doing what they wanted it to do. It wasn't doing what they were expecting it to do or what they were expecting of the sci-fi genre, expecting of the romance genre, expecting of movies in general. And it was, an, it was a completely, I feel like the critical reception to this movie is a denial of the breadth of what cinema can be. I think they want it to be this one thing that we were expecting, mainly from a Hollywood movie. If this was a $10,000 indie movie, I don't think anybody would have blinked. But this was a $110 million Hollywood blockbuster that was making a really not comfortable statement about marriage about relationships about people and this kind of all came in a really nice well-reasoned well-thought-out uh, video essay that i saw by uh, a youtuber named Nerdwriter, who whose things i enjoy um he did things for arrival that i thought were very interesting but here he basically posited and i sent this link to you did you get a chance to see it uh, yeah, the reordered or rearranged. Yeah, passengers rearranged, he called yeah. it. And he said, is there a good movie to be found in this movie if you just kind of rearrange the story elements? And what he posited was, if you tell the story from Jennifer Lawrence's point of view, if you start the movie with her opening, opening the, um, uh, her pod opening up, and then she meets Chris Pratt, he's all weird and creepy and kind of distant, and, you know, what's his deal... Um, and then it becomes revealed over time what actually happened to him and then what, and, and what he did. So that way, when, as what most screenwriters posit, don't get ahead of your characters. So when, it, when she finds out, we find out what he did. And it's a big <gasps> moment yeah. when we and find out that moment, the, what he did. The sets become crime scenes as we're trying to exactly. figure out what, what, what's been going on this whole time. Yeah. And so he talks about it being a much more active experience, less, not a passive experience, and, he and all that very smart, very reasoned out. Normally, I would, I would always be on the side of anyone saying, let's tell this story from the female point of view. Always. Not here. Not here. Because 
what I think this movie is... <laughs> I think the rearrangement of this story in that format um, is going against precisely what the film is trying to talk about. And what, he, what, what it does is it makes the outcome of that kind of movie more in line with our pre-existing ideas of what, um, of what, what we thought about the character in the beginning and what we think about people in general and also, um, or movies in general. And it just makes, it doesn't make it more interesting. It makes it more comfortable. I'm more comfortable with this ending. If he's bad, he can die. And I, that's what I wanted. If he's, if, because, because they kept saying it'd be more interesting in that reveal. I'm like, well, no, that's a reveal. That's the, we, what we get is a inevitable admission. Uh, and it's the other shoe dropping, right? It's the other shoe yeah. dropping to consequences that you went on the wrong, that, that we, the viewer went on the ride for. We were brought down his entire decision-making penalty. And now we're feeling that shoe drop, which, you know, it's part of the rom-com formula. I mean, that's... Yeah, I guess so. True. You know, it's like, it's him lying and saying that he was the fancy lawyer when he was actually the janitor. It's like... And that's, you know, the stakes are a lot higher than that, but it's it's the it's it's the same structure. You're right. It's, it's the same structure. The rom-com where the meet-cute is based on a lie. Where the meet-cute's based the on a lie. the truth is going to come out. Right. And so it's just, this was one that you the you really can't get over. And so... What that then does to me is you are now trapped. Jennifer Lawrence, her entire world is now this empty bubble, this empty ship that she cannot escape from. She's going to die in this mm-hmm. because of his actions. And there was another, po- well, another positing of this, of how the movie should have ended, was that Jim dies leaving her alone on the ship and then twilight zone like ending she makes the same decision he does uh becoming the monster that he was because this is what this scenario does to people that i feel why would you want that (laughs) (laughs) why would you that that one now that validates his decision more than anything because Mm. anyone would have done it right yeah right that, and and so and also what 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 do we gain from that? Now the thing that doesn't fit my 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 theory too well is lines like when she, when he's going to go out to to open the vent and get all that heat out. Um, she's like, I can't live on this ship alone without without you. What she really thinks, I can't live on the ship alone. I think. And the thing is, is that I I think. I think her decision to forgive the unforgivable. And again, this was not really shown clearly. I, if I say there's a fault in the movie, it's in this area, probably because studios were like, we can't have this be the movie. Come on. (laughs) Um, Is her making a practical decision? I don't think it's a thing of weakness. I don't think she's doing it because she's, she's weak and just is like, Oh, whatever. I think it's like, I know I will become unstable if I'm here alone. I know that um, I will make probably put in the same decision position to, to become a monster or to go crazy. 
Um, and so it's to my benefit that I live socially with someone. So I'm going to make this decision to to move forward in the best way I can, which is what all any of us can really do. So, yeah. Well, there's the whole we're all passengers, right? right. We're all we're all just uh, gliding along. Um, we got to make the most of what we have and just live live our lives with what we've got, right? You you can't help who you're thrown together with. You just have to make the best you can with that person. Right. Except we, that he did get to choose who. He got to choose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you how did you feel watching this movie because I I don't think I think it's in, it's essential that we sympathize with him in the beginning and have all that time with him and then watch him do some do something like that. I agree the movie is better from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think the the fulcrum that the movie turns on is is his decision. Is is making this terrible decision right. that he knows is a terrible decision. Um and then the having subject. to deal with the I'm sorry. I think it's I, I think it's the subject of the movie. I yeah, think and then having to live with the consequences of, of that decision. Right. Um, well, and and his victim having to live with the consequences and his victim. as well. Right? And, and he's, you know, he's not yucking it up during that time. I mean, there are times when he's like, he approaches her at all times with reserve, knowing this is, I've, like, he looks at her admiringly and, and with appreciation to, that she's there, but he also knows what he's done in every second. None of that whole sequence between her waking up and her being revealed was to me at all pleasurable. It was tense. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Inter- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take over. <laughs> um, you said you it, agree that, that it's better from his point of view. Uh, uh, he does ask her out on a date using a cute robot. <laughs> That's true. And yeah. Pretty goofy, uh, uh, pretty goofy exchange, um, which is also creepy. Um, but I don't know how creepy it was supposed to be. So, uh, so I've, I've got issues with this movie that I think are specific to the way the story is being told um, mm-hmm. and that I don't think you're addressing. Okay. Or that the um, rearranging um, passengers video addressed. So one thing this movie is, is, is doing thematically and symbolically is telling a Garden of Eden story. That's correct. Right? Like this is Adam and Eve and the movie ends with them deciding to build their own their own paradise on Avalon, right? Their own little garden of Eden together. Mm-hmm. And their relationship is founded on this original sin of of him bring making her mortal like him. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh essentially. Um and I can see why the um what is the director's name let's see uh, morton did he tilden did he write it too no, no. so it's written john by spates. john spates directed by morton tilden so i don't know uh where the commitment to this theme starts but i think the commitment to that theme is what kind of sandbags this movie for me mm. because in order to do that they're also committing to a sense of innocence to these characters, which I think 
just runs completely against the grain of all the great things that are in the story hmm. that you're talking about, right? They arrive, they're on this planet as like blank slates, right? Um, I think a lot of it is it's like... To some point degree. Well, so what do we know about them? We know that they somehow just weren't satisfied with um, life at home. We don't we, really know why. Well, we do, and in, in, to some degree. We know that he's a someone who is frustrated by the idea that he can't build something everything can be replaced rather than repaired. We know that he's a builder. We know that he's a mechanic. We know that he's someone who wants to um, fashion something new instead of only just buying something again. And then you've got her who is a trying to someone who's after a tragedy of her father, trying to follow in a footsteps of, uh, of writing because she read about herself from someone else's point of view her dad's and then now she was wanting to write about people like her dad but now she's only got herself to write about so while yeah you have these little things they aren't they can be connected and fitted fitted to the overall theme but aren't truly um, i didn't buy any of it they weren't truly they weren't they didn't truly factor in when we think about the story (laughs) <laughs> like, like these, you know, you think of you think of colonists going to settle a new place. They move in families. They move in right. pods, right? Unless you're like a criminal, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, you come from an abusive home, or like there's something like miserable that drove you away that you had to right. start over, right? You know, like mm-hmm. these are the archetypes we have of of. Of, of settlers, of pioneers, right? Dissatisfied, or uh, almost rabidly so, right? Yeah, and the, like, if there were some, if if these, either of these characters had, like, the darkness in them that, like, Sarah has, like, Sarah, I buy. True, yeah. Right? That's Sarah from the movie Palm Springs. Absolutely. Like, Sarah is someone who needs to escape something, and I don't need to know everything that it is, like, I can tell immediately she's that type of person, mm-hmm. but I feel like we're given, like they're, we're also trying to be sold like the charisma of these two stars of Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, and so much of them, the way we're introduced to them is like is these squeaky clean personalities, right? That are just kind of like bubbly and warm immediately <laughs> and fun loving and do dance offs and play, <laughs> you know, one-on-one basketball and, mm-hmm. and charming ways. And, and just so much of, you talk about Chris Pratt's character of Jim, like being creepy, the way he's regarding her admiring, like keeping his distance. Cause he feels guilty. I don't, I didn't feel that at all. Like what I saw over and over again, uh, even oh, on the rewatch. Oh, oh. I, I, I didn't... I, I'll clarify my spot. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. What I see over and over again is him making, like, these rapturous puppy dog mm-hmm. eyes. Like, he just can't believe how wonderful she is. Because he... Like, we're supposed to believe he honestly did fall in love with her mind by reading everything she wrote before he decided to woke her, wake, wake her up. And uh, even the the scene on their date where they go in the spacesuits and she's like how am I going to fit in my dress? i got to take my dress off, turn around. Like that's played as like a pre-adolescent true innocence to right. it. Like it's so non-sexualized like oh my god she's getting naked I can't believe 
I can't believe I'm in the room with a naked person. Like that to me is like what his facial expression <laughs> yeah, is yeah, saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I, I, I think I think there's a reason to play on the line, but go ahead. I for me it's like this guy who we know is guilty of all the things you mention, like in those moments, is still treated as like this innocent. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just like it's it, the movie's trying to do two different things that don't work together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not going to try to like do a forensic <laughs> analysis, like how that happened. Like yeah. you know, it was. I, I like, think we, we have to sell Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. And so we have to present them in in this in this way. But I also think it fits in with the whole Garden of Eden thing. They're trying to do this innocent thing. I think I think Passenger is all about innocence in a way that um, Palm Springs is all about experience. Yes! Wow! Right? Very nicely put. And and I think the the sense of experience that is like weighing down these two characters and how and their the cynicism and nihilism that comes with that like really reinforces that movie in a way that the commitment to trying to depict innocence for these two characters works against the grain of of what could have been a much better movie and i i think it's i think it's flawed i think they needed to cut that out it was a bad impulse i think that's a i think that's a really good um that's a really good uh, take on that. I, I, I'm going to have to think about that for a while. Because to me, the utility of the innocence of these two characters is to force people to not chalk up these decisions to any particular characteristic. It's not to say, oh, he's a deviant, so that's why he did this. Or, oh, he's a this, that's why he did this. Oh, he's mentally... He's a, he's a crackpot, so that's why he did this. I think the decision to make him as puppy doggish, as Chris Pratty, as possible. <laughs> um, it could is, just be the limits of Chris Pratt's range. I love Chris Pratt, but yeah. there might only be, he might not be able to turn that off. I mean, you, you might have the Will Smith problem, you mean? <laughs> Where you're like, you just can't turn that off? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, the, the only time that I thought he got in the way was i mean i i even so much appreciate the the cheap ass beard he had in the beginning <laughs> which did not look good beard. but it no, was it was clearly beard. evocative of the guy on the little three foot desert island with the one palm tree you know it was clearly yeah. evocative of that to say he's stranded he's alone yeah he's got all his needs taken care of he's got air food water you know he's got all of that but he is a he's on a desert island Without Tom Hanks, Tom people. Hanks and Robert Zemeckis figured out the beard. <laughs> right, they figured out the beard, though. But that's what I mean. That that clearly was what that seemed to be evocative of, uh, and they knew they didn't have to have it on long. <laughs> but like, the only yeah, time where he Seymour seemed, said it looked like something they got at Party City. <laughs> the, yeah, the only the only time, <laughs> or like from Life of Brian, you know, from the guy the guy who uh, sells the beards for the women to go to Stonings. Um. Sorry to the makeup artist and hair person out there. <laughs> Sorry, it was a I, bad beard. Sorry. It was a choice. Beards are tough. I have to admit, beards are tough. Um, what, what was my... Oh, I think it was to strip everything down to the act. Like, what would you do? To not say, like, oh, he did it because he was Italian. You know, we don't, <laughs> don't want any racists to, like, you know, 
chalk up anything to any characteristics or he did it because he was poor. He did it because he was rich. He did it because he was... It's like, no, he's blank slate. This is you. This is you, all right? And, 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 and you're going to sympathize with you. Now you did this. Now what? And, and uh, so I, that's what I see as the utility of them not having an overly complicated backstory or much history to go about that oh and to speak about to chris pratt the, what i was going to say was the only the only thing i think where he got in his own way was just his physique being like awesome <laughs> i mean like he's he's got that that uh, mad magazine or sergio angeli's a beard and hair and um uh and yet he's like you know he's star lord underneath like if he was really sitting there with all those food and ice cream containers around there, he'd be, you know, <laughs> he'd be totally Ralphie Maying it on that ship. Yeah. He'd be Fat Thor. Yeah, he'd be Fat Thor exactly. And so like, um, he still looked like he was a specimen just with a bad beard. <laughs> and and and, and I, once there was a there was a there was a review of Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds that once said, you know, as good as Tom Cruise is in this, I can't help think this would be a lot more fright inducing if it wasn't Tom Cruise running around dodging people turning into ashes by ray blasts but rather if it was Philip Seymour Hoffman right that would be way more terrifying always seems superhuman yeah it would be way more terrifying than a slubby guy who was like how do I get yeah how do I survive how this is so Tom Cruise looks like he's ready to take him on you know, and, and be able to. So, right. If we need someone with a few more body thetans weighing him down. Right. Say this was Philip Seymour Hoffman in this role instead of Chris Pratt. You know, what would, would that? How would that be different? Because they make well, a, a they make a reference once in the movie. Actor. What's that? I mean, he's a he's a better actor. Well, it'd, be, it'd be better. <laughs> but I mean, like, there's a. Um, uh, to the uh, point where I, I gotta say, like we know Jennifer Lawrence like can do anything. Like it, it almost feels like she's holding back to. <laughs> I feel like she's holding something back in this movie. Okay, that's all. Yeah. It's okay. It's, I mean, I mean, I I I want to commend them both on the willingness to do this material. Because it couldn't have been. I mean, the fact that they were game. Originally, it was supposed to be. Keanu Reeves and Emily Blunt in these roles. And mm. I think it went through a couple of hands. Well, there's your blank slate. Came back. <laughs> Keanu exactly. Reeves. <laughs> exactly. And so I think Chris Pratt's a much Reeves better too. choice. I, yeah, I love Keanu Reeves too, but like, I, I think Chris Pratt's a better choice for that. Um, I can't say about the other one because I, I, I love Emily Blunt with every yeah. fiber of my being. So, Keanu um, Reeves. Like, it's hard to blame Keanu Reeves for anything you see him do. <laughs> Even eighty-seven headshots in John Wick. <laughs> I still um, haven't seen any John Wick movies, so maybe I. Oh, John Wick it. is fantastic. It, it it by no means should be, and it's amazing. That's all I hear. Um, you'll be one of these days. John Wick is a masterpiece in tone. It's a tone that I don't know how they got, because when you say it, it's laughable, and it is, but it's meaningful it's awesome and you're in oh, and like okay this did, sounds like my kind of movie how did you do it how did you do it like yeah that's the magic it's the magic yeah and and also i don't want to, i'm not gonna spoil too much 
another brilliant part about the movie is the first time you see the main villain, he knows he's lost. He, he goes, you've killed us all. And he knows from that moment on that the only result of all of this is all of their deaths. And yet he's just going through the motions of like trying to stay alive, even though he knows he's going to be killed. And yet it works. It's really, it's really great. Um, uh, anywho, um, there's a point, there's this one line in it where, where they make reference to the fact that if, if they had gotten to Homestead 2 and Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, if they had met at that point, they were, their stations were so far apart that they wouldn't have given each other a second glance. I'm like, come on. You guys are both gorgeous. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> what do you mean? It's like, so that's why I kept thinking, that's when I thought, well, what if it was like, you know, someone other than someone awesome looking? <laughs> what if it was someone else? No disrespect to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love him. But, uh, but um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's got to work the personality to, right, right. to, to get that. Yeah. So so Chris Pratt can just walk in the room and flash a goofy smile. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a golden lab, but that's what he is. So like something you said earlier while I, while I was uh, referring to him as creepy during those scenes, I didn't what I find interesting is that I see Chris Pratt for what he feels in those scenes where he's like burdened with his own guilt, unable to fully accept the moments as they come because of it, right? Knowing that he's unworthy, knowing that he's not there, but he still needs it. He still needs her uh, in his life. And then, but if you looked at it from her perspective, and this is a strength to the movie, if you just looked at it from her perspective, here's this guy who's apparently been on the ship for a year by himself, and he's like, I... I'm Jim. Not like, oh my God, I haven't talked to anyone in like forever. Like, you know, you know, he's right. like, hi, how's that? Uh, I'm Jim. I'm passenger too. And then through all the other times where he's reserved, he's, you know, come back and, 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 and held back. And then there's that scene in the, uh, when she's jogging after the reveals come out and she's jogging and he's yeah. on the intercom. I want to talk about her exercise routine. <laughs> that's a, to me, a very interesting scene. Just looking at like, I, I feel for both of them fully in those, in those scenes because he is, it's like that, you know, it's, it's the nerd in me who's like, look, I, I know I'm unworthy. I know I have anything, but I just need you to hear what I'm saying. And I'm not asking for anything. You just, I want you to know how, what I was thinking and feeling, and I'm sorry. But then he, because he doesn't w- want to, confront and 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 make distress her he does it over the intercom where she has to hear in a godlike voice she cannot escape yes and it's basically saying you stop your life and listen to me and it's terrifying but when you cut to inside the thing he's this small ashamed little like puppy dog who is just trying to say i i i, I care about you and I hurt you, and I'm sorry. But from the other side perspective, and that, that's just really important, I think, for guys to, 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 to see, is she's not overreacting. <laughs> and 
and and and I, I was a little disappointed with the scenes with Lawrence Fishburne and her yeah, because it okay. almost kind of like went down to say no, you guys need to for, you should really forgive each other when it it was bad. He murdered you absolutely, but really it's up to you to kind of like get along. That bothered me a right. bit because hey, you can't blame can't blame a guy for doing that. You can't He's blame a guy it. for doing that. That's what guys are gonna do. <laughs> you they're gonna they're gonna steal you from a life and prison you there. If you want that's to survive in this do. world, you just better get used to guys doing that to you because that's what guys are going to do. Guys guys are going to need an emotional lifeline. They're going to pick a girl and they're going to demand that yeah. girl be be their savior. But have do you deny That's your lot in do, life. Do, do you disagree that that is a prevailing attitude in our actual society? I think that's the I think that's the ultimate attitude of the movie. Yeah, see, well that, and that I I think I think that's the, where I that's where I do wrestle. That's where I do wrestle and I'm still coming to my own feelings about that. I I I think I think the emotional climax for Jim Preston's character in this movie is right before he sacrifice he's going to sacrifice himself is hearing her say she needs him. Like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I can die now." Now that she says that she needs me, I can die and leave her and be happy. Uh, that might be a so facile me, oversimplification. For me, I, that for me, that's the emotional logic of that moment. I think it's like he has to go out no matter what. You know, but he's happy. He's happy doing it. Like well, he can, he's happy. He he's happier knowing that there's some. I don't know. There's something that's not all hate there. Rightful, you know, justified hate. <laughs> now, there's a... The, the, you know, not to mention that the fact that the fusion reactor is melting down and he needs to be outside opening the door and she needs to be inside switching it is means, oh, it's a good thing that he he didn't kill her. He saved her. Now, this... And 5,000 other people. Like, it was necessary for him to wake her up or else they'd all be dead. Now, this is an interesting... It's interesting you bring that up because this script was on the blacklist for a very long time. It's been floating... It's And weirdly, John Spates has, was able to success, successfully be the only author on this script throughout its entire life, like 10-year life span, right? And John Spates, who I, who I think is commendable on this script. He's also responsible for the one of my most my third most hated movie of all time, <laughs> which is Prometheus. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that. So he wrote the original draft of Prometheus which I've been avoiding. I, I think has been I think is not hardly at all what we saw on screen, but it also had a really wonderful thing at its core that became clear at the end, so I won't blow it for you here. But okay. um but if that had been really more explored with the same kind of stick that Passengers does, Prometheus <laughs> would have been amazing, I think. But man, oh God, I, I just get angry thinking about that movie. Then he also co-wrote uh, Doctor Strange, which I thought was quite good. Um, yeah. But he, according to him, and I've read countless interviews, I can't find the one that talks about one draft where it had like egg sack stuff and like that seemed kind of in line with something I was thinking about, but I, I can't find that article anymore. But uh, so I don't know, but basically he does the art, the interviews he gives kind of 
Seems like he's playing a little studio ball here and there, more so in some interviews than others. <laughs> I don't know. But he does kind of remain consistent. Like, oh, it was always, they never were meant, they were always were meant to both survive, at least until their natural deaths before they reach Homestead. You know, they were always meant to, this was going to be a love, this was going to be a story about love rather than a love story, rather than a romance. But it's going to be the story and then about forgiveness, basically, which is the part to me that the movie doesn't really earn, I think, other than just thinking of it as a practical matter of survival, which I think is something to talk about all on its own. But the... uh, the original ending, if I've, I've bri- briefly read some and then read some synopsis of other, but I have the script. The original ending of this script that was on the blacklist that everyone was so excited about was during this confrontation, like Gus, like the Gus dies a lot earlier. And, um, Gus more, the Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah, Gus, Gus the deck crew guy di- uh, dies even sooner than his 18-minute screen time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, they find the hole in the core. All my exposition's been delivered. Time to die now. <laughs> exactly. The damn the uh, uh, the they find the thing in the core, and then they're spending time. They're trying to patch everything up, and he doesn't go outside to vent the thing. But he's working tirelessly to tr- to try to save the ship and save everything. And then they do. They get the core central core computer to stop. But in by doing so, the ship believes it has docked so it starts ejecting all the hibernating pods so 5,000 hibernating people are ejected into space i don't know why this was a good idea for when they landed (laughs) but they try to stop as many people as they can from being ejected into space and they don't they don't save any of them so they're looking at this horrifying view of 5,000 people out there um, dying or going to die. Yeah. Then there's a scene that is basically. Remember the scene where they're after all the the end. They're, they're in the pool and they're swimming together and they're looking out through the eye and they just sit, and the only line in the whole thing is "hell of a life, hell of a life." Well, that whole scene was taking place at her her writing desk where she basically lays out why she's forgiving him, which okay. I'm kind of glad is not in the movie. Yeah, because it wasn't. It, you know, it wouldn't have helped. <laughs> it had the same effect, but it would have been more clear that that didn't work. Um, but she basically says, well, she's, no, basically, she straight up says, I can read it for you right here if you want. She says, Aurora's riding couch, Jim and Aurora sit facing each other. Aurora gathers her thoughts, takes a deep, deep breath. You know, if it wasn't for you waking me up, I'd be drifting out there right now with the others. And if you'd never awakened, the whole ship would have been lost while we slept. But no matter how we got here, the fact is we're here. All I know is when I have a good idea, you're the person I want to tell. When I wake up in the morning, I wish you were there. When I look at you, I just see Jim and I miss him. He looks at her, moved and caught off guard. I missed you too. And then she says, I don't want to be angry anymore. I can't be. We've come through too much. No matter what you've done, the fact is I love you. And then they take each other's hands, and then they kiss, a kiss that matters. Now, you know, and then it says, hell of a life, hell of a life. Yeah. If we could have seen her make that emotional journey, I think it could have been If we great. could have seen that. I don't think that monologue 
that monologue doesn't do it. No, but don't, if we could have seen that. her get from to forgive the person who killed her effectively, and then yes. accept the card because basically what the like thing hate is like, herself for wanting to be confused and hate herself for wanting to be with him and wanting to see him every day. I completely agree. You know, because honestly, give us, when, give us if, that. if I just heard her say that, I'd be like, I don't know, that's a pretty big. It's like I basically cut everything out of your life that you were planning on doing for like forever. And yeah. you're doomed to buy all this shit. That's a pretty big thing to, to, to kind of say, ah, I just look at you and see Jim. <laughs> but yeah, if we had seen that progression, um, that would have been great. And then, and then the end of the movie wasn't, uh, you know, you'd open up, you see the, the tree that he planted become a mighty oak and there's vegetation and then all their descendants run out. So all the kids and families... They seem like a lot of families for just 88 years, but a lot of uh, kids and families run out of the ship when it docks. Not just Andy Garcia coming out going, "Why? what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> for like 10 seconds, I get to come uh, out. I get fourth billing for yeah, this? <laughs> exactly. Um, all their descendants run out, which is kind of beautiful, except when you got to think of the incest thing. Okay, that's what we had to do to... <laughs> there's, there's that but there is one quizzical thing that really gets me in the ship but again I can logically figure it out but it says here the starship's gangway lowers the doors open children run down the gangway children of all ages and all races wait what <laughs> how did Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence make children of all races okay so that's that the Garden of Eden thing starts right there yeah right there yeah and it says 20 of them, 30, point, they point at the sun and clouds, laughing, why live wonder. We move up the gangway through the disembarking passengers, behind the children, teenagers, adults in smaller numbers as they grow older, finally a handful of gray-haired elders. And then kind of a little altar to, like, the Adam and Eve of Jim and Aurora. So, I mean, I, I, like, what they're I like what they're doing. I will defend this movie till I die. And I truly think... That um, with its flaws, which it does have flaws, I think your criticisms, I like your criticisms a lot better than people saying, oh, well, you, you need to make this more comfortable for me to what I already expect. Whereas it's like, well, then you're n this movie is not what that is at all. Well, that's why I have a podcast and they don't. <laughs> well, I appreciate it because, yeah, I take I take your criticisms and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally I totally see that. Yeah. And I think I think if the movie had leaned harder into the themes you're talking about and really committed to them, mm -hmm. I think it would have been a much better movie. Yeah. But I do think this movie will be talked about. This will be studied in film schools later. I think this will be talked about for a very long time, whereas I think a lot of the ones that are a little more celebrated may, may not be. And, um, like La La Land. Yeah, like La La Land. That's not going to be talked about as much as Passenger is in the... In the I don't which, remember anyone talking about this movie. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it, 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 it opened very weak, so people counted it out, and then it just had legs. I think after a while, people said, well, you know what, I'm not going to listen to the... It's Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. I, I, you know, I might as well go see it. And, uh, you know... It's, it's nice to look at Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Even if we're talking about basically a soul-sucking moral, not quandary, just moral, bleh. yeah. <laughs> Maybe the um, all of the sheer outfits on Jennifer Lawrence yeah. and 
uh, strategically placed cleavage, like. Oh boy! Yeah, placing the camera in order to capture her. Please now, uh, roll over on the bed right. in your halter top. <laughs> certain way to think this thought. <laughs> Go swimming right now, please. You know, like, oh, I did not buy. So she's horrified at the fact that this guy basically kidnapped and killed her, mm-hmm. lied to her. They had sex. Uh, as a result of those lies. As a result of those lies, and so she's feeling physically violated. Mm-hmm. By this guy who she doesn't know what he's capable of. I would think she's doing everything she can to avoid this guy that she's trapped with. Well, she did for a, quite a while. No, she just goes out jogging. Oh, she's jogging in mean. the main concourse, like the well, most likely place to run into him. Well, when she when she comes to his not not this isn't excusing, but I'm saying when she comes to his bed and starts beating the shit out of him, you know, and she's kicking him in the head and punching him in the head and he's he's putting his arms up at first and then when she grabs the crowbar he just lays his arms down you know wordlessly yeah that's i i, I like ozymandias in uh, watchmen <laughs> oh i did the series or the movie <laughs> the movie oh, I, was, I, I blocked a lot of that out um, the series or the comic i think that they do a a, a fairly good job that Chris Pratt has communicates and telepaths that he's not going to do, he's not going to be a physical threat to her. I just, I just wouldn't want to see him. But no, yeah, sure, certainly not. I wouldn't want to see him either. And, and I find it, I find it difficult to believe that, that she would come around in the way she does. I think, I think, the, I think that, that it's certainly a practical, a matter of practicalness and not practicalness, I should say, um, um, survival really um but there was one thought when he goes and says we found the metapod i found a function in there that we can um put you in and you can sleep and you can go back to sleep and she doesn't take it which even at that point i was like "Mm, she'd take it (laughs) (laughs) she'd at least think about it she'd at least think about it and then when she's at the they, they showed her having not taken it right um, the little Palm Springs fake out that they do here. Um, I kept thinking, oh, but you know when they have fights, that's going to come up. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to get right in that pod and see you later. <laughs> she says, well, I'll just wake you up again. Like, oh, you, that's just like you, wouldn't it? Just like you to do that. Oh, now you're bringing that up again. <laughs> hey, Jim, I'm going to go take a nap. Is that okay? <laughs> you think I could have 30 minutes of sleep? <laughs> Uninterrupted? By the way, there's a couple of cruel jokes in this movie, uh, visual jokes. Once you've seen the movie and you're watching it a second time, um, when he, the first time Chris Pratt goes to like look at manuals to like how the ship works, yeah, the and he goes and pulls out the hibernation pod manual. The first manual he pulls out says Medi Dock Bay, and he puts it back, and then uh. finds another manual that says hibernation, and he pulls it out, and then. They do it again when he makes the decision to open her pod. He's like in his bed and he looks. So when he gets the idea to do it, not when he makes the decision, when he gets the idea to do it, he looks over at his side table and he's got the little hibernation pod manual. But then above it is the metadoc, metabay doc manual. And you're like, if only he weren't such a peak physical specimen. (laughs) If he was more interested in reading, he would have found out. 
Um, although he did verbally dismiss it later. Like he, you know, he says, I checked, I checked, I checked, I checked. Um, well, one other thing, person we didn't talk about at all is Michael Sheen, who I love Michael Sheen. He's, especially when he's doing comedic roles, I think he's fantastic. And I thought he was really great here too. Did, how, did, how did you feel? Uh, it was interesting. I mean, so the, the shining parallel was hits you over the head, right? I don't really, I, I, I don't really gravitate. I've not really seen the shining that much. I don't really remember a lot about it. And so I, oh, those okay. didn't, there are a lot of, I, I think I saw some comparison tracking shots with, with the shining and him, but, but it didn't, it didn't resonate with me in that level. So, Oh no, totally. It was like, you know, for me, it was like a can't miss reference. Um, like weighing the the creepiness of that reference point in my mind against the banality of his personality. Yeah, he had a person banality, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is played comedically, but it's also a little creepy at the same time. And uh, how mm. he, just that how it's like programmed to be an enabler. <laughs> yeah, I was just... that was. I don't. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I'm not sure if it totally works for me. Mm. I think it does work on the whole. Like it didn't feel forced that he is the source of the reveal. Right. The AI logic. It didn't feel, usually those moments feel pretty contrived and this one did not feel that contrived to me. It takes a robotic bartender who has like a very subtle glitch of the of the face when he's trying to figure out like interpret Jim's straight comment about they have no secrets but i don't know if they had been more about how he's an enabler who like is 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 programmed to reinforce people's worst tendencies <laughs> like if we ever got to see him yeah. do that for for her for her right then that made might have made it more interesting i don't know but then when it gets into the slapstick like all the kind of fast motion whirring around and then bashing yeah. his face on the on the bar then it gets kind of slapsticky and i, I don't know like I, he's not like he's not like the devil no if we're doing the garden of eden thing he's kind of like the devil i mean he i can see how that he would fulfill that role nicely but he doesn't he kind of, i mean he he does not discourage him from waking her up. And other times no. he's talking about he's helping him give in to temptation, temptation. Yeah. In a way. He sort of greases the skids a little bit. So in that way, maybe he is like the devil. Maybe that is. In which case, it's not like it's not a hit over your head. I'm not, I haven't, even though I was like, man, the Garden of Eden stuff is too heavy handed in this movie. It's ruining it. It didn't occur to me just now that that Michael Sheen is playing the devil. And now I, now I think he totally is. But so you can say, so maybe, I, I say it's done well that in that sense, <laughs> you can say maybe that this is a progressive take on the garden of Eden story in the sense that it's not Eve that corrupts, that takes the apple and corrupts in the, it's all Adam. <laughs> it's all Adam. <laughs> I, that's true i'm i don't think the gender politics of it are, are, are that progressive though <laughs> it's true. i'm not i'm not going to well that's just it is this is this I think it's ultimate whether it means to or not its ultimate message is if a man 
needs emotion needs you emotionally, then the proper thing to do is to reciprocate. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I disagree. I disagree, but I think I think that the I mean I mean any movie like this is gonna be like, is it holding a mirror or is it on a soapbox? You know, which one is it? And um I think it's very critical of the very structure of a relationship. You know, the very structure of marriage, the very structure of commitment, and what that does to the woman in that. I think it's saying that for quite a long time, and even to this day, the women are born into a, this man's institution of world, the man's economy, the man's everything, and you know, you're 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 going to be batted around at their whims, even the people who don't who are quote unquote not the bad ones. It's going to happen, and then you have to navigate on your um, on what you think is best for you. And, and, and the fact that this ship is this grand world, like a relationship sometimes where like no one can see in, it's devoid of anybody but you and him, and that's it. That's the world. And so I, I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's saying that should happen. I think he's saying that quite often the situation is, is that is what's happening. Now, the fact that this isn't torn down, that this uh, structure isn't undermined and... Um, rebuilt as something more equitable that certainly is uh something to debate or discuss or to consider adding <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. it's not like we see jim decide to he's going to live his life in a different way from now on as he does one heroic act right no yeah he right know, he he hasn't he's absolves he him. is trying to to live with a mark on his soul for the rest of his life and um but other than that he's the same guy he was before <laughs> <laughs> you know i also think it's kind of weird that jim has this useful skill that ends up being important to saving the day and while what's her name well jennifer lawrence's character is courageous you know, and pulls a piece of metal shrapnel out of her arm. Mm -hmm. That she really has a useless skill. <laughs> she doesn't. She, she has no useful skills uh, to help save the day in the end. She just does what Jim tells her to do. True. I thought that was kind of weird too. Yeah, that is. I thought mm -hmm. her whole plan was really superficial. Like I'm gonna, everyone I know is going to die, so that I can write stories for strangers <laughs> and return to a world that I won't even recognize when right, I get back. Right. And I feel no, no compunction about that whatsoever. This, this last viewing I did last night uh, did put me off when she's watching the videos of her friends. And then she yeah. later <laughs> quotes that in the final monologue, a voiceover monologue. And I'm like, Ooh, that's not the right lesson. I don't think I know. Yeah. I know you're never happy here, and you didn't really like any of us. Which was actually kind of <laughs> a neat omission, like like a neat admission, like like, hi, I'm happy for you, but why did you do this? You know, you know, I thought that was actually kind of a that part was neat. <laughs> uh, I uh, yeah. Now this I is gonna be recorded for you to play over and over and over again. My little moment of just weakness to say fuck you for leaving. <laughs> 
<sighs> but still, I mean, I mean, for all its flaws and all its messy politics, I think the reason why I defend this movie is because I think to feel better about it, everyone wants to change it or cast it in a certain way. When I'm like, what it's actually trying to do is is worthwhile and it, and, and on purpose. It's not a mistake. <laughs> and so they're all like, well, Jim's the villain. Aurora's the hero. And not as, no. No, they're, they're, they're both the protagonists, but him more so for certain because it's kind of more through his eyes. Um, and he's, she's sidelined a bit. Um, but like, uh, there's no antagonist for a reason. That's not a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and uh, there's no like... Um, I think I read somewhere that there was a lot of pushback to try to like notes of like, you know, we want, couldn't there be an alien on board? And then, you know, there could be guns. Oh, no. Yeah, no. That would uh, be terrible. Could, couldn't it be this or like, couldn't there be like a, a conspiracy for like something the homestead organization is really doing? And no, because that's not what we're doing here. This is a, we're trying to look this directly in the face. And, um, but with $110 million of your money. <laughs> like, I think it could have been done without, on a much smaller scale, and probably not caused as much kerfuffle um, and be what it was, mm. more honestly, maybe, with less expectations burned, built into it that they were never going to meet. It, I think it would have been a better movie with less star power. I really mm-hmm. do. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 prob- I probably agree. I don't mind it. But I I agree. Um, I really like the ship design. The yeah, ship the ship design, design was really cool. I thought the sequence of showing how the shield worked uh, was neat. Yeah, there were little things that they addressed but never got into about class. You know how the the you know there was all this good food that he just wasn't privy to this whole time, or rather, like how he's going to be in debt working up. They just kind of threw this in. And I'm like, I was yeah. kind of thing where he was like, where she was like critical of the whole sales package that he bought into. Yeah. Where it was like, and you're going to be working that off for the rest of your life. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like it's, it's like the, the company is both seen as just profit driven, but also kind of benevolent <laughs> at the same time in a way is weird. One thing I read was that they, the ship design was supposed to look like the brochure. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to embody this, the pitch to get them to buy the product, right? To go to Homestead. So it's a new life, it's a new change, it's elegance, it's all this stuff. And so they wanted the ship to look like what Homestead was promising, mm-hmm. right? We never even get to see what that could be a total shithole they go to. Or <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't know. Get there and it's Tatooine. Oh no! <laughs> what are we doing? Um, you get to build stuff now. You get to build stuff. <laughs> it's what you wanted. Let me let me make a, 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 a if this movie didn't convince you to uh, check out other works by uh, the director Morton Tildum. Uh, Morton Tildum, uh, I think, is probably best known for the uh, Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch about the uh, Alan Turning. Right. And his Which thing. And it was kind of a. Hmm. I have read the graphic novel by Jim Otaviani, oh, a yeah? co worker of mine and, and neighbor. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Same subject, same title. Came out same year, I think. Oh yeah, but not <laughs> totally connected. unrelated. Totally unrelated. And that movie was okay. I mean, I, I, there was nothing about it that I didn't like, but I've not thought about it since and there, whatever. Um, but he did make a little wonderfully crackerjack little nasty piece of work in his home country of Norway called Headhunters. And it's on, wait a second, let me see if I, because I, I had streamed it on Netflix at the time and I think it went away off of Netflix. But let me find this. I, I, I bought it. It was so great. Um, Headhunters is a movie about a, a corporate headhunter, someone who's trying to find CEOs for uh, various companies when they are and even new CEO. And so what he does is he interviews them. And, but when he interviews them, he asks them about what kind of art they have in their homes and when are they going on vacation. <laughs> and then he goes and steals the art from all these prospective CEOs uh, at some point during the year. Because who's going to remember this casual conversation they had at this one job interview? Well, he ends up interviewing the guy who plays Janie, Jamie Lannister on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And um, uh, goes and uh, tries to take what he's got and gets in over his head. And that's all Uh-oh. I'm going to say. And it's awesome. Is Crackerjack okay. Entertainment. So cool. And so I, it wasn't even until we're preparing for all this, like the last time we were going to do this, <laughs> when I said, we got to do this, and then cut it off. Um, I, I found out that, yeah, pa- guy who made passengers made headhunters and it's, and I was like, wow. So this, he's, he's, it's, I wholeheartedly recommend that movie as just a lot of fun. It's grisly. Well, the Norwegians apparently agree with you because it is the highest grossing film in that nation's history. Really? Oh, I didn't know. That. <laughs> so yeah. And is no longer on Netflix, unfortunately. Right. I only see it, uh, for streaming, uh, Oh, it's on Pluto TV, which is free. It's on Crackle? Really? And Hoopla? You can just watch it with ads on Tubi, Crackle, Pluto TV, and you can rent it on Fandango for 99 cents uh, and uh, rent or buy it uh, for reasonable prices elsewhere. So check that out. guess I need to try these other apps. Pluto TV is pretty awesome, except for one problem. It's all free. It's... Live TV with lots of curated stuff, movies, Mystery Science Theater is a whole Mystery Science Theater channel, on demand and like a live TV program. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't let you search for something. You just have to go oh, to their yeah. curated channel, which they oh. could put anything anywhere. And you're like, no, I don't want to just find whatever you want me to watch. I want to search. And I've actually sent them <laughs> customer service emails saying, you know, if you want, I would love to use this service more, but this is a culture where we go to what we want to see. And if I can't search for it, I'm not using your service. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not watching not your video ads. on demand. Yeah. It's not on demand if I have to scroll. Because you look up, go to Pluto on, uh, on uh, how do you search. There are videos that are all about, yeah, the way you search on TV is you just scroll through all the thing. I mean, everyone knows. That's not searching. Every, that's browsing. That's exactly. That's exactly what. <laughs> and he goes, everyone knows the best part about Netflix is scrolling around looking at what all they got. I'm like, no, no. that's the time suck of Netflix. 
<laughs> That's actually the worst part about Netflix. I go on my Just Watch app, I find out what movies are streaming where, and then I I do that browsing here. Exactly. Exactly. On my phone. But I will plug Pluto TV for another thing besides their Mystery Science Theater. They also have um, Bajillion Dollar Properties streaming. That's with Paul F. Tompkins. With Paul F. Tompkins. And Drew Tarver and Ryan Gall and Tim Baltz and Tawny Newsom and um, many, many more. Well, neat. So um, this was episode was a long time coming. I hope yes. you. I hope. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope. I'm, I. I knew I was going to steamroll a lot of stuff in passengers. I knew I was going to try not to monologue, and of course I did. Well, you had a lot to say, and uh, that is no surprise. <laughs> that's that's fine. It's par for um, the course. This was your pick. You're in the the driver's seat, but uh, I, sir, um, it's getting late here, and parts of my uh, CPU are overloaded, trying to compensate <laughs> for other parts. I feel like I might be shutting down. I need to go vent uh, into space. Well, I will um, hold that vent will... open for you, Thor style or Jim oh. Preston style, whichever. Yes, thank you. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you asked me last time and. Maybe this can be a recurring bit. Uh, what you been watching lately? Oh. Besides um, Headhunters. I guess you did your Headhunters thing. I, I would def- definitely recommend Headhunters. I haven't seen that in a while, but man, I totally... De- Let's go with Headhunters because for some reason I can't uh, think of anything really right now. Well, I I have been uh, enjoying HBO Max uh, and their selection of older films uh, from before 1980 or even 1970. And so I've been doing a little... Um, catching up on uh french new wave canon that i somehow had missed or couldn't remember if i'd seen or not <laughs> um uh art this isn't necessarily um french new wave but large and my first oh, uh, brisson i'd never somehow i'd never seen any robert is it brisson yeah Bresson. brisson i'd never seen any of his films somehow and so for some reason I started with his final film and not one of his <laughs> most highly acclaimed, but, um, I really liked it a lot. Largent, Largent, Largent. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. French. It's the money. Yeah. Argent means silver, yeah. but apparently it's a, uh, idiom for, uh, for money. And, uh, it's very, um, it's a crime movie. But like things are so fractured in it mm-hmm. that um, I, it's the best example I can think of, other than Dead Man, of deliberately depicting violence in a way that will not excite you, right. will not excite the viewer. That is an, right? a, but in a in a good way, I have to say <laughs> that that is a great um, yeah that is a great uh, movie for that yeah. Dead Man. I, don't, yeah. I haven't seen it, does, it, it takes a very different approach to the same goal, um, but it's it, it, it's it's I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought it was very minimalist. Um, you know, it's a good movie to fall asleep to if you need that. Uh, but I didn't. I was mesmerized by it and uh, really liked it. So, Largent, and then um, a, a rewatch, but um, saw for a second time. Uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Oh yeah, which is weird. I kept trying to convince my kids we haven't seen the Muppets, <laughs> and they insisted we had. I really think they're thinking of the Muppet movie. Right. So I've seen the Muppets Most Wanted twice without having seen the Muppets, but 
Puppets oh. Most Wanted, on the second viewing, I appreciate it a lot more. And I'm like, for being the same kind of movie as The Great Muppet Caper, I like it a lot better than The Great Muppet Caper. It, it feel, I was going to compare it directly to The Great Muppet Caper because um, I feel the same way about it. I feel very nostalgic and I like both movies. Watching them, they're not as good as the other ones, but I still really like them. Um, yeah. I think Ricky Gervais's uh, and uh, the Evil Kermit song that they sing together is top notch. Um, I think uh, my favorite line in any of the Muppet movies now is Tina Fey going down the row of uh, prisoners, going "Good night, sc- good night, Mangler, good night, good night, Mangler. good night, good night, good night, head shooter, yeah, good night, good night, Danny Trejo." <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh Danny Trejo's playing Danny Trejo um, but he, my favorite line from the movie and it goes, I think of this line a lot is when evil Kermit Constantine Constantine is yeah. he's posing as Kermit and running the show and everyone's coming in with their crazy ideas can I do the running of the bulls and he just says yeah sure who cares <laughs> and I'm like that is the perfect line to be the the anti Kermit line. Yeah, because it's not in any way obviously the anti Kermit line, but it's right. perfectly. It's the one thing he would never say. It's yeah, he would never say that. Yeah, and just to say that, like as being a stage manager, sure, who, who cares? cares when you're putting on a show like I. Uh, but but I see know. see I, I love that see the first Muppets with Jason Segel and Amy Adams. Because I'd like to. The first time you might see it, you might be like, mm, "Yeah, it's good," but like, uh, I, I watched it. It was the only movie my son watched when he was really young, and we watched it all the time. I maybe skipped one or two parts that were a little frenetic, but um, it's it's. I really lo- adore that movie um, a lot, and there's a lot of good in it. Um, you should check it out. That's awesome. There's also great song. Chris Cooper has one of the best rap songs I've ever. <laughs> In, in the first, uh, I sing it all the time. The the flight, the Brett Michaels from Flight of the Concords. That's Brett McKenzie, idiot. Was from Flight of the Concords. You know, he did songs for both Muppets Most Wanted and and the first Muppets, and won an Oscar oh. for one of them in the first Muppet ones. And the the songs are so stellar in the first one. They are just top notch. Okay, that explains the. Um, I'll give it to you. The the yeah the 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 I'll that, give it to you that, cockatoo. That's totally a, a flight of the Concords song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, that's totally. That, yeah. Anything else you've been watching? No. Um, did you watch Mikey and Nikki on HBO Max? I haven't. I did. Um. I did start. I hadn't really. I don't think I've ever seen any John Cassavetes, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to work my way up to Mikey and Nikki. Mm. I know that he's didn't direct it, right. but I'd warm my way up. So I watched uh, the Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Which I did not like, um, but we might we talk about that one right now. No, I mean on another episode. Oh, I don't think so. I don't oh, okay. watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> ben Gazzara gives one of my favorite performances I've ever seen in a movie I really hated. <laughs> I've had those. I can't think of what what it is. What one is, but I I know I've, I've been that way. God, he's so good. But whoa, yeah. Um, speaking of Mikey and Nikki. Uh, directed by Elaine May. I've been following that thread. And uh, while I have sitting here in my rental queue uh, 
the director's cut of Ishtar that I can't wait to get to, uh, <laughs> having seen the original one before, but not the director's cut. Um, I watched a fantastic movie, Elaine May's directorial debut, A New Leaf, and laughed my ass off through oh. it. Um, uh, she's incredible. Um, and I learned something very important about Elaine May's work. Um, is that I think I know why Hollywood did not like her <laughs> because <laughs> okay. she, now I haven't seen heartbreak kid, but judging by a new leaf, Mikey and Nikki and, um, Ishtar, you know, 75% of her entire filmography. Um, she doesn't tell stories about women. She doesn't, she certainly has women characters in her movies that, you know, kind of show their place in the world, but they don't, they're not female empowerment stories. They're not stories to like showing them as they, you know, how they rise and struggle. and fight. They're really movies about men and why they're fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and she's spot on. And so uh, I think that's why she, she wasn't well liked and told, oh, she wants chaotic sets and stuff. That's just my, <laughs> my, my, my armchair analysis. But A New Leaf uh, is uh, Walter Matthau and Elaine May. And Walter Matthau is simultaneously, I think, miscast, but also so goddamn funny uh, as a uh, trust fund uh, elite who's never lifted, worked a day in his life, nor intends to, uh, and is, has... There's a hilarious scene at the beginning where his attorney, who he's been avoiding for the entire beginning of the movie, is trying to explain to him that he's got no money, that he's out, that like when you, when you, when you, when you um, spend more th- than you bring in, you have to dip into your capital, and it depletes your capital. So when you... I, you and he's like going, this check must be paid, this check bounce, it must be paid. Yeah, I realize that, but you're... You pay when you when you. I've been trying to tell you this. When you spend more than your income, <laughs> you don't have money to pay out these things. I mean, how how else can I say it? I said the money. There's no more money. There's no there's no, there's no, there's no money. <laughs> <laughs> so I full new a new leaf. Unfortunately, isn't streaming on any services, but it is rentable through iTunes and Amazon and all that. You can you can get that there. Oh, I did watch Oh Lucy on your recommendation. Oh, you did. Really like that. You really liked good. Oh, I'm so oh, yeah. happy. It's a great movie. That is a fantastic movie. Yeah, I I I adore every inch of that movie. <laughs> well, if you endure every inch of this podcast, or you'd like to tell us which inches you didn't like so much. Okay, it was a bad phrase. We don't have to beat it in the. <laughs> it's a bad use of the English language on my part. Let's. Let us know by sending us an email at youwatcheditwrong at happypanic.net. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, so you can say something there. And uh, let us know what you've been watching or what you'd like to hear us discuss. And if you thought the Old Guard episode was too long, and if you listen to all this, you must like You Watched It Wrong. I don't know. There you go. We haven't done that yet. Really? That's what we should do. Great. We gotta we gotta keep changing how we do it. You're Levi Stahl. <laughs> <laughs>